Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. Indeed, good morning. And welcome to the October 20th, 2013 edition of FOJC Radio Church. What an exciting time that we live in. What a privilege it is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in this hour. And this morning, our lesson is going to be the Congressional Prophecy. The Congressional Prophecy. And Friday morning, when I heard what happened on the floor of the Congress with the prophecy that was given by the lady Diane Reedy, I knew that everything was going to have to be put on hold. and We were going to have to talk about this this morning because something of very profound significance on many levels took place. And we're going to be talking about that this morning. And we're going to be analyzing the things that she said, whether they be true or not. And I find that indeed they be true and they be a word of God and something profound has happened that we're going to see ripple ripple effects of not only in the natural world but in the spirit. And I'm just excited this morning because the word of the Lord has been quickened. God has spoken and... His sheep will hear his voice and they will respond. It is just an exciting time. But as we do, we want to worship the Lord this morning and prepare our hearts to receive his word. So let's do that. And then we're going to... Amen. And... We want to begin this morning in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. If you want to be turning there in your Bibles, and we want to begin this morning with prayer, I just might make a couple comments this morning. We do want to welcome our new listeners. We are uh, very thankful that we are getting new listeners, and we appreciate you. And I just want to say to you this morning that we are always controversial, but this morning we're going to go beyond the pale of controversy. The things that I'm going to share this morning, they're not just going to be controversial, they're going to be incendiary, and you're going to get a good look into my heart and what we're all about this morning, and just exactly where we stand in this fight. I also want to give a thank you to all of our friends and listeners that they send us so many things, uh, information and things like that. And I want to give a personal thank you to Blue Raven, who is doing so many things for our ministry. And we just want to say to Blue Raven, thank you, and that we love you and appreciate you for all that 
you do. And also this morning, Brother Mark, we want to wish you a happy birthday. And we appreciate Brother Mark and Brother M so much down there in the Atlanta area, as we do all of our listeners. We do love you very much. And we want to do everything that we can to be a blessing and a spiritual help to you. And I want to say this morning as we go to prayer, I want to pray for this lady, Diane Reedy. And at the outset, I'm sure that most of you have heard this prophecy, but we want to pray for her, and we want to play this again so that you can hear it. And she is going to come under attack not just from the, those that wanted to carry her away for medical examination, psychiatric examination. That will be the least of it. She is going to be attacked from many quarters, many of them portraying themselves as patriot or Christian. And we really want to pray for her this morning, that the Lord would gird up the loins of her mind. So, having said that this morning, let's go to prayer and after that I want to have Donna play this clip for any of you that might not have heard it but let's go to the Lord in prayer Heavenly Father we do thank you this morning for the opportunity to come together via the internet to worship you to gather together to encourage one another and lift up your name and Lord I do lift up Diane Reedy to you this morning I thank you for her obedience and I pray Father that you protect her and that you just give her a special measure of your grace that she can stand in these times. And Lord, also for her husband and her family, Lord, that you bless them and that you look after them. And Lord, for each and every one of us, give us the grace to stand in these last days. And we know that you will. And Father, just help me this morning to bring forth that which you'd have me to say. And just anoint our listeners, Father, to receive everything that's truly from you. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And I'm now going to have Donna. I know that most of you have heard this. A lot of you have, but I know that some of you haven't. And we're going to play this clip. This actually happened right after the vote was taken to reopen the government. And this... October 16th was the date and I believe it was Friday morning early when I learned about this and this is a clip of the actual prophecy that took place when this congressional stenographer walked up (laughs) and took the microphone and this is what she said He will not be mocked He will not be mocked He will not be mocked The greatest deception here is this is not one nation under God. It never was. Had it been, it would not have been. No. It would not have been. Constitution would not have been written by Freemasons. They go against God. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. Praise be to God, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there you have it. And uh, a lot of people are going to have a lot of different opinions about what took place there. I know I've already, one of the most common responses is, well, she's a nut. 
they will respond just like the unsaved pagans there that wanted to whisk her away for psychiatric examination. But I want to be real clear where I stand on this. I believe that this woman spoke under the prophetic unction of God. I believe that she spoke prophetically. And let's go to Matthew chapter 10. As with everything, we have to analyze the things that take place in our world by the word of God, and specifically by that which our Lord Jesus Christ spoke. And he spoke specifically to things like this in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 16. Let's read the word of the Lord. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. She was truly in the midst of wolves there. But beware of men. But beware of men. But beware of men. I could not repeat our Lord's warning any more earnestly this morning. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. They will scourge you in the synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. A testimony against them. That's what this was. This was a testimony against those wolves of which she was in the midst. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall be delivered up the, and the brother shall deliver up the brother to death and the father of the child and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake but he that endureth to the end the same shall be saved and if you notice and truly this was this was something that God she made the statement that God had been dealing with her to deliver this message and truly she did stand up and God helped her to bring forth that prophetic utterance do you remember just here recently when we talked about the structure of the church and I told you I read the quote from John Chrysostom about how there were women bold as lions that uh, stood up and brought forth the word of God well there's one of them right there isn't it and that's just a, a a confirmation to me on that level but there's going to be three areas of persecution that are going to persecute Miss Reedy number one is going to be the government and the unsaved they're going to say now hun calm down you're off your rocker we'll take you down and uh, let Dr. Kevorkian evaluate you the number two is the American religious establishment those that believe that America was founded as a Christian nation those people that are looking for Sarah Palin to save them this group of people are going to persecute her because they're going to say oh she's wrong when she said America was never a Christian nation because we surely know that it was founded a Christian nation and number three she's going to be persecuted by remnant groups 
that virtually worship the founding fathers. There's going to be three distinct areas of persecution. Now, one comment I want to make, I want to read Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, and something that's a big part of the problem, many preachers will use this scripture when it says that you'll just stand up and the Lord will give you the words to say. This is speaking of a prophetic unction, just what we said. And a lot of preachers say, I don't study the word of God, and they'll use this as an excuse. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And they will take this scripture to justify their laziness and their stupidity, their willful stupidity. They're wrong on basic Bible doctrines. And that makes them wrong in everything. They, it will skew everything as they seek to analyze the situation that which we're in. So this is speaking of the prophetic utterance that this lady brought forth. Now, in John chapter 10, there's something that took place within me and there's something that took place within many of you because I know I've talked to many of our listeners uh, concerning this. And in John chapter 10, verse 27, this is what it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And when this woman spoke, I knew. I mean, I didn't have to, you know, I do analyze and judge everything, but I knew this was a word from God, and many of you did too. You knew that the Lord was using this woman to speak. And this is what the world doesn't count upon. They don't count upon the God factor. And when we saw this, the next scripture uh, in uh, verse 28, it says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And this is not some careless promise unto uh, the teachers of unconditional in, uh, eternal security. It's not about the security of the unbeliever. It's about the security of the believer. If you're his sheep and you hear his voice, no one can pluck you out of the hand of God. If you're following in faith the Lord Jesus Christ, not the government, not the Christian establishment, not the remnant groups, nobody can pluck you out of the hand of the Father. You are, there is security of the believer. Yes, there is. And we are secure in knowing that God is not separated or from what's going on. He's not caught by surprise by the shenanigans of these apostate loons. He knows what's going on and he is personally invested in you. He is personally invested in the propagation of the truth. God is not getting, uh, and let me say it this way, because God can get the truth out anywhere he so chooses. He just proved that, didn't he? But Fox News will not tell you the truth. You're not going to get the truth over TBN or over Daystar, but you're going to get the truth through a little woman that will walk up and take the congressional microphone. You see, God has a way of getting his airtime, doesn't he? God has a way of getting his truth out. And you see, it might seem as if everything is in the lap of these conspirators. Every opportunity and every advantage. 
but they do not count on God himself stepping in and intervening in this situation. And this is just the first of many things. There is going to be the direct intervention of God that is going to even shake the most hardened unbelievers and the people that are in the deepest deceptions in the bowels of the apostate church. They're going to be shaken to their very fiber with the things that they are very soon going to see God do. And I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18 and 19, and this is what you're going to see happen as a result of that which has taken place. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18 and 19, the word of the Lord says, For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. This is going to cause a separation. To those that attack this woman, and do not, and you see, and it's not about her. It's not about her, but it's about that which she has brought forth. That is a word from God that we're going to be analyzing. It's going to cause a separation. When you hear people that cannot stand with that which she has said, there must be a separation from those people. Because, and I, and I don't know any better way to say it than that. It's going to cause a separation. Now, I want to think a little bit about something that she said when she said, America has never been a Christian nation. And oh my goodness, there are those that will say that this is just an absolute lie. America was founded a Christian nation. That woman spoke the truth. America has never been a Christian nation. It was never founded a Christian nation. Now, for those that would disagree with that, I would like to bring forth a piece of evidence this morning. And I would like, and you know, we are very big here at... FOJC Radio Church about documenting what we say. If you if you can't document it, you don't need to say it. And if it is true, you need to say it. And what I would like to bring forth this morning in support of the idea that America was never a Christian nation would be the first treaty that America signed with a foreign nation. It took place in 1797. It was in the last part of George Washington's presidency. Washington, George Washington was the president of the United States. And there was a treaty with Tripoli. And you know we had a little problem over there uh, with some Muslim pirates. That little song, uh, From the Halls of Montezuma to the Shores of Tripoli. And um, it is right that the Muslims did have a part in our early history. We had to go over and deal with them just a little bit. But in this Treaty of Tripoli, Article 11, and this 
was, uh, well, just let me read the opening words of Article 11 of the Treaty of Tripoli. It begins this way. As the government of the United States is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. Now let me repeat that. As the government of the United States is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. Now what makes this even more impressive is that this was drafted by George Washington himself. These are the words of George Washington. Now I think he was in a position to know, wasn't he? And what's even more impressive is that this treaty was unanimously approved in the Senate without any dissenting voice. Now, if there were all of these founding fathers there that believed that America was founded as a Christian nation, this would have been a great time for somebody to stand up and say, Oh no! America is a Christian nation! But not one voice stood up to dissent, and the words of George Washington were certainly true, and the words of Diane Reedy were also very true. America has never been a Christian nation because the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence were written by Freemasons. Amen. You're just exactly right. Now, let's read Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, and I want to address something else that uh, Miss Reedy said regarding deception. And I also, too, want to take just a moment to give a little credit where credit is due. And also, I want to say something about Adullam Films. I believe that God raises up certain individuals and anoints them in areas to really do a tremendous job of bringing forth truth. I believe that Dr. A.E. Waite of the Bible for today, when it comes to the King James Bible and the text and the transmission of the Hebrew Masoretic text and the received Greek New Testament text, Dr. Waite is by far the man on that subject of when you want to know about the text and transmission of the Hebrew Masoretic or Greek Received text. He's the one you want to listen to, and you just want to shut your mouth and listen and learn. And because God has anointed him in this area to bring forth this truth in our day and time, and I might say the same about Adullam Films. That in the area of history, Christian Pinto is being greatly used by God to bring forth truth. And I might just mention. Uh, the film that they did, The Hidden Faith of the Founding Fathers, and uh, there's also uh, A Lamp in the Dark that is excellent, Uh, Tears Among the Wheat is excellent, Uh, Riddles in Stone, uh, uh, America's uh, Secret Beginnings, these are all just pure gold. They are just absolutely wonderful. And if you want to bring yourself up to speed on history in a in a quick way, I would recommend The Hidden Faith of the Founding Fathers. And 
2 Timothy 3.13. So I want to give credit where credit's due. They're doing some great work in in this area. And when, you know, just like you say, the truth is out there. Well, it is. And you can find it if you go after it. But it takes a little effort. you got to look beyond uh, Fox News and a lot of things. Fox News is just a place where people think they're getting the truth. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13. And we're going to go from controversy to incendiary. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. But I have to say these things because when the Lord spoke through this woman, He did more than speak through that woman. He is saying it is now time for each and every person that has the truth to stand up and speak it without fear. Speak it and proclaim it. He that hath an ear, let him hear. And the word of the Lord must go forth. And it's going to cut. It's going to have an effect. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13 says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, I want to think for just a minute. When this woman said what she did, why were many people unable to receive it and understand it for what it was? And I've got three reasons. Well, I've got four reasons here. Number one, if a person is unsaved, the natural man can't receive the, the things of the Spirit of God. Number two, spiritual dull Christians... If you are not living, you're either sharp or you're dull. You're either living in a relationship with the Lord to where you are able to hear His voice and understand, or you're not. And when you're spiritually dull, I mean, we need to be sharp, not dull, in these times, because these things are going to be happening. And we need to be able to understand what's coming down as it comes down. And we've got to be uh, sharp and not dull. Number three, people that have a false covering. There are people that are saved that have placed themselves under false covering uh, in the apostate church, and you better get out. You better get out and get yourself out from under that false covering. It's no time to play with this nonsense. And that's one thing about it. We've got to speak to this, and we've got to speak to it directly, because these people... That are, and it comes in two forms. It comes in the form of the political message in the evangelical church, and it comes in the form of the patriot message. And when I say that, there's a lot of difference in that. There's a lot of difference in patriot groups. And, and I'm not saying it's everything they do is bad or that they're all bad, but this to which I speak of, uh, it is bad. And I, I've, I've got to mention the name of a man. David Barton. David Barton. Many of you know it's Wall Builders Ministry. And what this man does, he goes into churches. And what I resent, and what I resent deeply, and years ago, because of our study into Freemasonry, I almost had a debate with David Barton. Because for years I've known this guy was off the wall. It's not Wall Builders Ministry, it's off the wall ministries. And What he says about Freemasonry is wrong, and what he says about the Founding Fathers is wrong. And he will go into churches, and he will get behind their pulpits, and he will lift up documents by Jefferson, 
Adams and he says, oh, this is the original document and he will lift it up. And what he is doing, he is placing the documents of these men on a level with the Word of God. And he's coming in saying, oh, for you to get direction, you've you got the Bible, that's fine, but you've got to read it with these documents and then you'll get direction. And you see, then you can go out and be a little political activist like Sarah Palin or like Newton Calissa. And maybe you can make a document like Newt showing how that all the monuments in Washington see are really of God. You see, my goodness, that's what... Oh, that's what deception is. You see, and what deception is, it puts you in a position to where you don't even know the truth, but you cannot find out the truth because a deceived person, when they analyze a situation, they can only receive information that will reinforce their opinion because they have a preconceived idea and whatever they get that's contrary to their position no matter how scriptural or how true they can't receive it but if it's information that will reinforce their position they can receive that that's what deception is and the people that listen to David Barton they are deceived and he is a deceiver because he wants to make you think that people like and and I'm going to talk about five people this morning and I'm just for sake of time, we're going to be focusing on five of the founders: uh, George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, and Thomas Paine. These, I think, are arguably the top five most influential founding fathers. And what I had to say about this morning is that these men were not only Freemasons; they were infidels according to the faith of Jesus Christ. That's not just a, maybe they were, no, they absolutely were. And America was never a Christian nation, and the men that led this revolution, they were infidels. Now, that's a fact. You don't like that? You just need to deal with it, because the truth is the truth. And I am insulted, and I am angered, when deceivers like David Barton will place the writings of these infidels on a par with Scripture. That's blasphemy. And for people to allow, for, for so-called shepherds of the flock to allow the words of infidels to be put forth as something you need to understand and get direction from the Word of God so that you can become a political activist like Sarah Palin or any of these other dingbats, that's an insult to the Word of God and to the living God. I resent it, I rebuke it, and the same thing goes on in patriot groups. Some of these people literally worship the Founding Fathers. You better wake up and you better start following the living God instead of infidels. Now, I'm going to calm down, and we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back, and I'm going to get excited again, because it's time to get excited, it's time to get angry. Jesus became angry with the Pharisees in the temple, and they're there once again, and the people of God are going to rise up in righteous anger. And they're going to speak against them. That is what is happening even. F-O-J-C Radio, where truth in the Word of God is found. The Lord is with us. And I want to read a scripture 
in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 10. We're going to have some scriptures we're going to read there. A couple places in Hebrews 11. And I want to talk about something just a moment. That is a criticism that's been leveled against me. And I know that it will be leveled against you. If you believe as I do, and I know that many of you do. In Hebrews chapter 11, and to those of you that are new and don't understand what we're all about, I've made some very controversial statements, but I want you to hold on this morning. I'm going to back them up. I don't speak off the top of my head. What I say, I intend to be able to prove. So you just buckle up and hold on and stay with us this morning before you make a judgment about what I've said. Now, one of the criticisms leveled against me, I... Uh, one fellow told me, he said, you're not a patriot. You're not a patriot. And I might say to that, no, I'm not. I'm a Christian. I'm not trying to be a patriot. I want to be a Christian. And I want to say this, that I, I try to be a good neighbor to everyone as best I can be, to be kind and helpful and to be able to share truth as the Lord leads me. I want to be a good neighbor and I want to be a good citizen. I want to be a good citizen and I want to do what I can to support that which is godly and right that government does. But I have to say this also and I have to say that in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 10 that this is where my heart is and this is where the heart of the true remnant is. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 10 Speaking of Abraham, it says, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And down in verse 14 and following, the scripture says this, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned but now they desire a better country that is an heavenly wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he hath prepared for them a city and I have to say this morning that I agree with the writer of Hebrews that I desire a better country and that country is a heavenly one. That my citizenship is in heaven and I don't fit in down here. Oh my goodness, do I don't fit in. And I know that many of you don't fit in. But our heart and our eyes are turned toward heaven. And that's where our heart is. And, you know, no, I'm not, I'm not a patriot. I'm a Christian. And while I will, as I say, I'll endeavor to be the best citizen and the best neighbor I can be. But my heart's up there, friends, and that's my priority. And I am not going to be misdirected from focusing my time and energy on something that will bring forth nothing of any value. I am going to focus on the kingdom of God. And for those that hear the word of the Lord, they will be the ones in this time that are going to make the only difference that will be made. Now, I want to talk a little bit about George Washington. And I call George Washington an infidel. And that is certainly waving 
the red flag at the bull, is it not, to many people for many reasons. But and I and I want to say this this morning about George Washington that there were many good and admirable things that he did and I could say many good things about Washington and amazing things that he did. He was an amazing man by any estimation and I don't want to take any of that away from him or I don't want to smear and besmirge his memory in the area of the good things that he did but as to the Christian faith George Washington was an infidel and there's like an apocrypha that has grown up around Washington. Uh, many times you uh, see pictures of George Washington kneeling. But when you study what the his pastor had to say about him and what the ministers of the day had to say about Washington, one of his closest friends said that I've never in my life ever saw Washington kneel. Ne- that went to church with him regularly. I never saw the man kneel. And... One thing about George Washington that comes from his pastor is that George Washington would not take communion. Now, I could preach a whole lesson here about the Masonic communion in the York Rite. There's an apostate communion where they drink wine out of a human skull. In the Scottish Rite, there's an apostate communion on Maundy Thursday where they mock the Lord's Supper and uh, they leave an empty chair for Christ and they de- they belie his deity and they blow his candle out and isn't it interesting that communion bothered him the true communion he, he didn't want to take it and his pastor openly rebuked him and what he would do when it come time for communion Washington would get up and walk out of the church and his pastor openly rebuked him and after that, Washington, he humbly said, yes, you're right. And from that day forward, he would never go to church on, on Communion Sunday. And something else that is the most telling about Washington, he would never make a public confession of his faith in Christ. And he was pressed to on numerous occasions. There was even a time after he was president where a group of ministers went to him for the specific purpose of getting Washington to go on the record and make a statement about his Christian faith. He would not do it. He never made a profession of Christ and he repeatedly refused to do it. Now, let's read the Word of God. Let's go to Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. And am I judging him? Well, the word of God judges him. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Confessing the Lord with your mouth is one of the basic things of salvation. George Washington would not do that. He was not a saved man. Matthew chapter 10. Let's read the words of our Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 10 verse 32. This is just down a little bit from the scriptures we read earlier. Matthew 10 and 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And according to the words of our Lord, Jesus is not going to confess Mr. Washington before the throne. And in Mark chapter 8 and verse 38, 
the word of God is very clear here. And on this basis, I call George Washington an infidel, and I won't back down from it. Mark chapter 8, verse 38. It says this, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And, you know, I'm just not trying to be mean or denigrating, but the word of the Lord has to be lifted up. And we cannot lift men up as Christians that are not. And we cannot put their ideas on a par with Holy Scripture when there are not. And I call David Barton a deceiver because David Barton uses the writing of the five men that I mentioned. He'll use Washington, he'll use Jefferson, he'll use Adams, Franklin, and Thomas Paine. And he will want to give those people the idea that these men were Christians, that they loved God and they loved the Bible. And that is just absolutely untrue. They did not and they were not. And what's amazing is that the Christian clergy in that day, they knew better. They never uh, acknowledged these men as great Christian leaders. They weren't fooled by it. It's only now, after the passing of time, that this deception has taken hold. Now, I'm going to tell you a few things this morning that you might not know about George Washington Four hours before Washington died, he was baptized into the Roman Catholic Church. And not only that, but by the Jesuits. Four hours before he died, Washington sent his slaves to row across the Potomac and bring back a man by the name of Father Leonard Neal. He was a Jesuit priest. And this Jesuit priest, four hours, and well, they sent for him four hours before he died. And one of the last conscious acts that Washington did before he left this world, he was baptized by this Jesuit priest into the Roman Catholic Church. Now, have you ever compared the capital with the Vatican? Just look at them. Just look at the Vatican and just look at the capital. And you'll find that they look identical. You know? And this is, you think that's just a coincidence? No. Something you might not have known is that very close to the capital there is Georgetown University, which is a Jesuit school. And Georgetown was there even at this time. And the tract of land that the capital sits on was originally owned by the Jesuits. The Jesuits donated the land that the capital sits on. It was originally part of the tract of land that's to this day the Jesuit University of Georgetown, uh, the Jesuit school, Georgetown University. And that might be a little clue as to why the capital looks just like the Vatican. The Jesuits gave it to them. And there's much evidence that Washington, and it's obvious that he was baptized into the Roman Catholic Church by the Jesuit priest, and that's an absolute fact. The, the Catholics brag about this. They're, they're proud to claim George Washington as one of their Jesuit followers, certain this Jesuit Pope does. But there are many things that really showed that Washington's heart was with the Jesuits. Now, they had a little thing 
in colonial America called Pope's Day. <laughs> I could I could have enjoyed that. Now that's a holiday I could have went for. And this was the American version of Guy Fawkes Day. And in England, if you don't know who Guy Fawkes was, Guy Fawkes was a Jesuit, and he led a Jesuit conspiracy to blow the government up. And he almost did it. It was called the Gunpowder Rebellion. It took place in 1605. And what these Jesuits did underneath the British Parliament, they put barrels and barrels of gunpowder and they planned to blow it sky high while Parliament was in session. But they were prevented and they did not succeed. And that's why the British would rejoice, and it was a national holiday. They would celebrate Guy Fawkes Day, and they would burn the Pope in effigy. Well, in America, they had, in colonial America, they had the same thing, and on what they called Pope's Day, it was actually a holiday, and they would burn the Pope in effigy. Now, I could go for that. You know, I could go for that. I could say, yeah, all right. But anyway, George Washington, whenever he saw a Pope's Day celebration among the troops and they'd be burning the Pope in effigy, he would stop it. And he repeatedly did this. And it was something that was noted um, about him many times. Now, what's interesting, if you look also back to the Capitol, the, the, the American capital is just identical to Vatican. Just look at it. You can just tell this with a casual glance. Now, another similarity, on the in the dome of the capital, there's what's called the apotheosis of George Washington. And this is just the most bizarre thing. If you've never seen it, you need to Google it and take a look at it. And what we see is George Washington sitting on his throne up in the clouds and around him are all these pagan gods and goddesses and here we and apotheosis means to become a god and it's literally the deification of George Washington that's pictured uh, on the dome of the capitol ceiling and we could go a little bit farther we could also say that in the capitol that there is the tomb of George Washington and that tomb is empty they portray George Washington as a god they even have his empty tomb there and they position him as enthroned there in the heavenlies and I might go a little farther than that there's another empty tomb in Washington DC it's 13 blocks from the capital it's at the house of the temple the supreme headquarters of Scottish Rite and there the tomb of Albert Pike lay empty because by an act of Congress Pike's tomb was moved from the house of the temple and interred in Arlington Cemetery. There was a little problem there with interring him in Arlington Cemetery because he was a racist and a Civil War general but they finally got the job done. So there's two empty tombs there uh, representative of the false prophet and the beast but that's another lesson isn't it? But another similarity I want to draw to your attention that not only is there the apotheosis of George Washington on the ceiling of the Capitol Dome, but if you go to the Vatican, there's a painting there also. It's called the Apotheosis of Ignatius of Loyola. And there also, the founder of the Jesuits, Ignatius Loyola, is pictured seated in the clouds, just like Washington is on the Capitol Dome, with all the pagan gods and goddesses and oh yeah guess who drew the apotheosis of George Washington on the dome of the capital it was Constantine Brumondi a Vatican painter these things did not just 
happen by accident, but they've happened by design. And let's look at Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 27. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 27. And as I say, when we try to analyze George Washington, and it, it could be said in a in a general term that Washington was a godly man in the outward veneer, but that does not matter that he had an outward veneer of godliness. In Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 27, the scripture says, The sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. How much more when he bringeth it with a wicked mind? You see, dead religious works don't profit a thing. And the fact that Washington had a religious exterior to him doesn't mean a thing. Not one doggone thing. And the, in, the great influences in Washington's life was not Christianity in the Bible. It was Freemasonry and the Jesuits. And there was a very strong, strong, strong Jesuit influence in Washington's life. And that is obvious, the fact that he chose to be one of the last things he did uh, in this life on earth was to be baptized in the Roman Catholic Church by a Jesuit priest. Now, a lot of people might say, oh boy, you're just making a big deal out of the Catholics and all this and all that. And, you know, I understand that a lot of Catholic people have no idea what's going on in Catholicism, but that's not my fault. They need to find out what's going on and get out of it. I'm not to blame for that. And that doesn't change the fact of what Catholicism is, and even more than that, of this extreme evil within Catholicism called the Jesuits. And this is now, for anybody that's paying attention, uh, that we have a Jesuit pope, don't we? And this should really uh, make some people blink. But, I want to read from a sermon. And I really love people like Finney and Wesley and Spurgeon because when I read these guys, uh, it makes me feel sane because they say just what I am saying. And they say it with the same spirit and heart with which I'm saying. And I want to read a little bit from a sermon by Charles Spurgeon. It was given on May the 1st, 1859, it's entitled, War, War, War. <laughs> now, could you imagine Joel Osteen coming on? Yeah, the sermon today is War, War, War. And I want to read just a few excerpts from it. And he addresses the issue of Catholicism. And, you know, should we make an issue of it, or should we just shut our mouth and let it go? Well, I've got to make an issue of it. It does matter. And... I'm not saying all Catholics are mean and evil. They're not. Some are nice people. They're not all evil and conspiratorial. I'm not naive to that effect. But that doctrine is damnable. Let, 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 let me just allow Mr. Spurgeon to help me just a little bit this morning. This is from his sermon, War, War, War. He said, We must have no truce, no treaty with Rome. War, war, to the knife with her. Peace there cannot be. She cannot have peace with us. We cannot have peace with her. She hates the true church. And we can only say that the hatred is reciprocated. We would not lay a hand upon her priest. We would not touch a hair of their heads. Let them be free. But their doctrine we would destroy from the face of the earth as the doctrine of devils so let it perish. We are one in Christ. Let us be friends with one another. 
but us let us never be friends with one another's error. We must speak very hardly and sternly against this error and against sin. But against man we have not a word to say. Though it were the Pope himself, I have no enmity in my heart against him as a man, but as Antichrist. The exhortation, fight, fight the Lord's battles. If you are the soldier of the heavenly king, two arms, two arms, fight the Lord's battles. And as I said, amen, to that prophetic word that Miss Reedy brought forth, I have to say amen to Charles Spurgeon and that prophetic word that he brought forth. War, war, war. Two arms, two arms, two arms. And that's what happened when this little lady walked up there. and I saw her there. She was holding on to the pulpit. Get away from me. Take your hands off me. She was holding on to the pulpit, standing strong, giving that word. War, war, war. Yes, it is time to bring forth the word against the kingdom of darkness and Though we be small and though we be few, if we speak the word of God with clarity and boldness and we testify against these satanic institutions, the Lord will drive that truth home to the hearts of those that ears are turned to the heavenly master and he that hath an ear, let him hear. It's time for our break at the top of the hour, and I have so much more on my heart this morning. We just appreciate all of you so much. We're going to be right back this morning on FOJC Radio Church. See you in just... Let's go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, as we begin here our second hour this morning of FOJC Radio Church, and boy, I just got so many things. The Lord has just really put so many things on my heart this morning, and for those that would say, boy, you're just making a big issue out of that, well, yeah, I am, and I, I do because God does. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And that's the problem with Catholicism. There's a curse upon it because it preaches another gospel and it denies the true gospel. And we have a, a page on our website on Catholicism. If anybody wants to wonder if that might not be so, you can go there and spend a lot of time there studying the facts that you can check for yourself. Catholicism preaches another gospel, as does Freemasonry, as does Mormonism, as does the JUWs. And this is why there's a curse on these institutions. That's why it does matter. And, you know, I'm not saying that every person and most people are ignorant 
that are Catholics about all that Catholicism teaches. And all I can say is that's not my fault. You need to check it out and find out about it. And I'm not saying they're all bad people or mean. They're not. But that doesn't mean that they're not deceived and that they're underneath the curse of Catholicism. And the only way I can help them is to try to do something to shake them up, to make them take a look, to examine what they're in. And I understand I'm going to take a lot of heat for that, and we do, but uh, that's the gospel. The gospel does not compromise. The gospel says there's only one, and if you ain't got it, you know, you're under the curse. And let them be accursed, Paul said. And he said it twice, in case they missed it the first time. The gospel's not up for negotiation. Uh, the gospel stands, and it stands against all of those that would pervert it. And that's why that I have to make a point of what God makes a point of. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this, of which Miss Reedy said that uh, America was never a Christian nation. I want to think about that a little deeper. There's only one sense in which America could ever be called a Christian nation, and that was the pre-Revolutionary War America. Now, I want us to think back and our history tells us that in 1620 the pilgrims landed and if you look at the pilgrims they were Christians and you can tell by reading their writings they they prayed they read their Bible they loved God they tried to do everything they could to set up their uh, not only their life but their government rules according to the word of God they were Christians uh, they're just like us they had their faults but they were Christians and you could, in a sense, look at the pre-Revolutionary War America as Christian America. And that's the only sense that we can think of a Christian America. But after the Revolutionary War, we can no longer speak of a, a Christian America in any sense. But we have to understand that from the time the Christians landed in 1620 until the Revolution, there was over 150 years. So America did exist uh, for a long time on what we might honestly call a Christian America. But after the Revolutionary War, there's no such thing that could be said. And we're, I've, I've got to move along to get into all the reasons why. But I want to make mention of one thing about how the enemy did what they did. Uh, in the scripture we read, it said to be wise as serpents and harmless as a dove. I want to read just a little bit from a book by a Freemason. It's uh, by a Freemason, a British Freemason, called Christopher Knight, and he wrote a book called Solomon's Power Brokers, and it takes one to know one, and he talks about just exactly how the Freemasons corrupted America, and just exactly how they are instituting their new world order, and he said that they did it through what was called star families, and I want to briefly give you his definition of a star family from page 67. He said, To the star families, the association of the goddess and of the annually sacrificed and reborn corn god was part of a belief that went back before the advent of Judaism to a time when god and goddess were indistinguishable in importance. And these families were generational families that worshipped the God of the mysteries. They worshipped the goddess, and this in the Bible, we had Baal and Ashtoreth. We had uh, Nimrod and Semiramis. In the book of Revelation, when it talks about the beast that had the head wound, but yet did live, it's not talking about an assassination attempt. It's talking about 
he will claim to be the God of the mysteries that died and come to life again. The Bible speaks about the women in Ezekiel 8.14 that wept for Tammuz. And these star families came to America. And also Francis Bacon needs to be mentioned in this uh, aspect because these star families ascribed to the philosophy of Francis Bacon and the New Atlantis that America would become the springboard for the New World Order. And they established secret societies to this end. And it had to be a secret society because there were Bible Christians in America that certainly would not have went along with that which they were doing. But that's how they did it. And through money, they bought influence in the American institutions and they turned these institutions of Harvard and Yale and Princeton which were once founded upon godly principles and they turned them into engines that would propagate their enlightenment thinking. Now just a couple more quick quotes from Mr. Knight and it's very insightful. This is one of the best books I've ever read where a mason just comes out and tell how they do what they do. He said on page 283, he said, The greatest objective of the star families is to unify, to create a single world over which God can rule. They wish to bring down international barriers and unify man's relationship with God without interfering with any person's right to follow his or her, only re- his or her religious preferences. And one of the final statements in the book, he says, uh, Someone in high office will... De- discreetly proposed that Jerusalem should become the new headquarters of the United Nations, a political neutral ground belonging to no single country. That person is likely to be the Secretary General of the United Nations. He or she may speak the words, but it will not be their idea. It will come from deep within the star families. And they've been doing this for a long time. They've been using rich influential families that established secret societies and of course Freemasonry was the principal engine by which they did but that's how they corrupted America now let's go to 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 and I want us to think a little bit about liberty we hear about liberty a lot don't we we have the statue of liberty that goddess statue of Lucifer in New York Harbor, a little bit incendiary there, isn't it? Now, Second Corinthians chapter three. Let's get the biblical definition of liberty. Second Corinthians chapter three, beginning in verse thirteen, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What liberty is, is allowing the Holy Ghost to take that veil of deception that is upon your eyes and to rip it off and to take off that veil 
whether it's a veil of dispensationalism, whether it's a veil of Catholicism, whether it's a veil of patriotism, to rip that veil off and to allow you to see the Lord Jesus Christ in His purity and His power and for you to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and no other. Let's read His words in John, the 8th chapter. John chapter 8. And let's begin with about verse 32. John chapter 8, verse 32 and following. Jesus said thus, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now this scripture is quoted out of context and is applied to many different things. But let's get the application that Jesus made. In verse 33, They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And a lot of the political liberals will quote this verse but they won't tell you that it's talking about being free from sin that's what freedom is in in the word of god it's having the veil of deception ripped from your face it's having the corruption of inbred sin overcome by the holy spirit that dwells within your house now let me give you the masonic definition of freedom And I want to read from Eliphas Levi, the Book of Splendors, from that Luciferian Freemason. And here is the Masonic definition of freedom. And Mr. Levi says, Why the name Freemasons? Free from what? From the fear of God? Yes, doubtless. For when one fears God, one is looking at him from behind. Oh, boy. The dreadful God is the black God, the devil. The Freemasons wish to build a spiritual temple to the one God, the God of light, the God of understanding and philanthropy. They oppose the God of the devil and the devil of God, but they respect the pious belief of Socrates, of Vincent de Paul, and of Fenelon. What they would willingly, with Voltaire, call the vile infamy in this face, or better, this foolishness which during the Middle Ages took the place of God. And what they want, they want freedom to do anything they want. They want absolute unrestrained hedonism. Not only do they want to commit sodomy with one another, but they don't want anybody to make them feel guilty while they're sodomizing one another. Don't you dare bring up to me in the midst of my sodomic revelings that that might be an abomination. Don't you dare say that. I'm free. I'm free from the fear of God and don't you dare say a word against what I'm doing. They already have freedom to do anything they want to do, but they want more than that. They want to take those that would speak against them and put them in the camps where they can no longer make them feel guilty while they are partaking in their satanic revelings. I want to talk a little bit about another one of the founders, Thomas Paine. 
Thomas Paine. It was said of Thomas Paine that if it was not for the pen of Paine, that the sword of Washington would have been wielded in vain. And Thomas Paine wrote the pamphlet that gave rise to the Declaration of Independence. It was called Common Sense. And he also wrote another book that was published after the Revolution. In Common Sense, there was no hint of the real nature of the man Thomas Paine. But after the Revolution, when he wrote Age of Reason, in Age of Reason, he blasphemed Christianity with a zeal that would have made Voltaire leap with joy. Now, with Thomas Paine, we see a direct connection, not only with the Illuminati, but with Adam Weishaupt personally. Now, Thomas Paine lived in France. And while he was in France, he became acquainted with Thomas Jefferson, who was the worshipful master of the Nine Sisters Masonic Lodge in Paris, France. That's right, our good American Thomas Jefferson, he was the worshipful master of the Nine Sisters Lodge in Paris, that good American. Uh, he was from France, Thomas Paine, and it was Benjamin Franklin that encouraged Thomas Paine to come to America. And Paine was, at that time, living in a menage de Troyes with a man and his wife. And he lived in that menage de Troyes with the man and his wife for about three years while he was in Paris. And it was during this time that he met Benjamin Franklin. And it was Franklin that encouraged Thomas Paine to start writing down his ideas. And it was Franklin that encouraged Thomas Paine to come to America. Now, I'm going to connect a few dots for you. The man that Thomas Paine lived with, in the Menage de Troyes with this man and his wife, this man publicly testified that he converted to Illuminism. You see, not only was he a Freemason, but he testified of his conversion to Illuminism by none other than the right-hand man of Adam Weishaupt himself. At this time, the Nine Sisters Lodge in Paris, it was the hotbed of the Illuminati. This is the Masonic Lodge in Paris that gave birth to the French Revolution. And here we have an absolute direct connection between Franklin Paine and not just the Illuminati, but Adam Weishaupt himself, and also with Jefferson. And there was a movie out called Jefferson in Paris. And Jefferson, by the way, is the one that wanted to put the eyeball on the do back of the dollar bill. And if you think that's the eye of God, you better get the veil off of your face. You better figure that out real, real quick. So there is a very direct Illuminous connection. It's not imaginary. It's not fictitious. It's very real. And it is very direct. Now, Thomas Paine, anybody, all you have to do is read The Age of Reason by Thomas Paine. It is one of the most blasphemous, filthy, degradating books to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word that you could ever read. It, Like I say, it rivals anything that Voltaire ever wrote. And to bring the writings of this man into a Christian congregation and to give people the idea 
that he in any way supported Christianity. That is blasphemy of the rankest ilk. Now, let's talk about Jefferson for just a moment. Jefferson was the governor of Virginia, and now they're about to elect a new governor, aren't they? Terry McAuliffe, the friends of the Clintons. That's just so appropriate, isn't it? But he became the third president of the United States in 1801. He wanted to be the second president. And the the presidential election between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, it has been called the most vicious presidential election in history. And Adams and Jefferson were at each other's throat. And I want to give us a little background of just exactly what was going on there. And I'm going to be reading some quotes here from our book, The Great Seal of the United States. I have these quotes in here, and they're very pertinent to understand just what was going on. Now, there were people that will tell you that this presidential election was the dirtiest of all time, but they won't tell you just exactly what the issues were. Now, the issue (laughs) that was at the heart of this controversy was whether or not Thomas Jefferson was the member of the Illuminati. (laughs) Now, I think people need to know that, don't you? Now, John Adams, publicly and repeatedly, Thomas Jefferson of being a member of the Illuminati. Also, Reverend Jedediah Morse. He was one of the most prominent American clergymen. He had studied as a young man under Jonathan Edwards. He was personally discipled by Jonathan Edwards of Sinners in the Hands of Angry God. His son Samuel was the uh, inventor of the Telegraph and Morse Code. And he also publicly accused and repeatedly accused Jefferson of being in the Illuminati. Also, Theodore Dwight, another one of the most prominent American clergymen, his brother at that time, Timothy Dwight, was the president of Yale back when Yale was still a Christian school. And Theodore Dwight, Jedediah Morris, and John Adams publicly accused Jefferson of being an Illuminist. And I want to give you just a couple reasons why. And these are a couple quotes from our seal book. Jefferson said this, and I quote, Weishoff seems to be an enthusiastic philanthropist. Weishaupt believes that to promote the perfection of the human character was the object of Jesus Christ. His precepts are the love of God and love of our neighbor. Yeah. He went on to say, he he vilified people that would criticize the Illuminati. I have the two books that come out that have come out within the lifetime of Weishaupt that criticized him. One was by John Robeson, and the other was uh, by Abbe Burrell. And if you want to really see what was going on at that time, these are the two books you want to begin with. But this is what he said about Abbe Burrell. Jefferson said, quote, Burrell's own parts of the book are perfectly the ravings of a Bedlamite. Jefferson would vilify those that would uh, criticize the Illuminati. He would lift up Adam Weishoff as a great philanthropist, and here we have the other side accusing of him of being in the Illuminati, and he was! Absolutely he was! And 
what we have to understand, and I, I want to read a scripture. Let's read Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. And this is very, very insightful here. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither received his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. Now, a lot of people, when they read this, they talk about the Muslims. Oh, this is the Muslims. And oh, yeah, Muslims like to cut people's heads off. And the Muslims are going to be cutting some Christians' heads off. But what we also need to understand is that decapitation is the preferred Masonic method of execution. Now, as I said, the French Revolution, which was instigated out of the Nine Sisters Lodge in Paris, France, it was very much a Masonic Revolution. A lot of history there, as was our revolution. And there was a fellow by the name of Rousseau. And Rousseau was the philosopher of the French Revolution. Rousseau gave his philosophical discourses of the ideal state and what they should be. And Robespierre was the executioner of the state. And within one month, between June and July in one year, 1,300 people were publicly guillotined. The, the guillotine was... Uh, the method of execution in France and the blood flowed to all of those that would oppose the implementation of Rousseau's ideal state. They took a Paris prostitute and they took her to Notre Dame Cathedral and they spread her legs upon the altar and they proclaimed her to be the goddess of liberty and the goddess of reason. And this is what Thomas Jefferson said about the French Revolution and about the guillotining of the opposition unto Rousseau's ideal state. Jefferson said, and I quote, I would have seen half the earth desolated were there but an Adam and Eve left in every country and left free. It would be better than it is now. The liberty of the whole earth was depending on the issue of the contest. Jefferson openly and publicly supported the guillotining of those that would oppose Rousseau's ideal state. Is it any wonder? It was very telling, and I remember this very well during the Reagan presidency when Mikhail Gorbachev came to America and he took a little tour of Washington, D.C., and when they passed the Jefferson Monument, Gorbachev insisted that the motorcade stop and Gorbachev and his wife, Riesa, walked up to the Jefferson Memorial and it was like they were going to wet their pants. You know, they were having a spiritual moment. They were getting a, 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 a real spiritual buzz from their little time of reverence at the Jefferson Memorial. I remember that very well and I found I, I didn't understand it all at the time but I said, you know, this is just really weird. Why would Mikhail Gorbachev just get all warm and fuzzy there at the Jefferson Memorial? Well, it's easy to understand because the French Revolution, the American Revolution, and the Bolshevik Revolution were all Masonic revolutions. And that's just a fact. If it doesn't sit well with you, that is just a fact. And that's, that's all I can say. Uh, you know, we can't do nothing against the truth, but only 
for it. But I want to try to sort out a little bit of this, what was going on here. Um, Adams and Jefferson, and I want to say about John Adams, that John Adams, who was the second president of the United States, he was a Unitarian. He denied the deity of Jesus Christ. He said the Holy Ghost didn't even exist. And how people can try to deceive people into thinking John Adams was a Christian, I, I, I can't understand. Well, I can't understand it. And I want to read also a, lesson, uh, a statement that George Washington made. And this is also, I'm going to read this from our seal book. Um, George Washington said this. He says, it was not my intention to doubt that the doctrines of the Illuminati and principles of Jacobism had, excuse me, let me start that again. It was not my intention to doubt that the doctrines of the Illuminati and principles of Jacobism had not spread in the United States. On the contrary, no one is more fully satisfied of this fact than I am. And I want to sort this out. We have Washington and Adams on one side. And on the other side, we have Franklin, Jefferson, and Payne. And there was some bitter contention between these two wings, yet they were all Freemasons, and they all wanted to work toward that same ideal state. Now, after the break, I'm going to sort that out, and I'm going to say some things that are going to give us a paradigm where we can understand just exactly what was going on. We're going to take our last break, and we have just so much more to share with you. We'll be back right after the break on FOJC Radio Church. Out of my heart this morning and say a lot of things that usually aren't said that I think have to be said in the light of what Miss Reedy did. And I've said a lot of things this morning, and I'm prepared to back up everything I've said. And anybody that uh, wants to know on what basis I say what I say this morning, I'll be happy to share that with you and um, have no problem in doing that. And I want to try to help us to understand the conflict between Adams and... Let's just start with that. The conflict between Adams and Jefferson. And to understand this, we have to understand Freemasonry and the difference between Grand Orient Freemasonry and Grand Lodge Freemasonry. And you cannot understand European history in the 17th and the 18th centuries without understanding the difference between Grand Orient Freemasonry and Grand Lodge Freemasonry because basically for two centuries European history was the war between Grand Lodge and Grand Orient Freemasonry. Now Grand Lodge Freemasonry is British Freemasonry. The Grand Lodge of England was founded in 1717 and to be a member of British Freemasonry you had to believe in God. And there was a veneer of religion that went with Grand Lodge Freemasonry or British Freemasonry. Now what is called Grand Orient or Continental Freemasonry or French Freemasonry was different. And if you know the history 
of European history in the 17th and 18th centuries, there were bitter wars and conflict between England and France. They were bitter enemies. And in French or Continental or Grand Orient Freemasonry, you could be an atheist and join Grand Orient Freemasonry. And the French Freemasons, and we could mention uh, Payne, Jefferson, and Franklin. We could mention Voltaire. We could mention Eliphas Levi, Robespierre, Rousseau. An- another name that a lot of people, Casanova. Casanova has been synonymous with sexual immorality. Casanova was a French Freemason of this era. Uh, the Comte Saint Germain, who has become, he was an occult master and a Freemason. He was also uh, of this time in this French lodge. It was an amazing mixture uh, and a conglomeration of people that came together to have a profound impact to change the world. And just like Casanova, uh, you can look at Thomas Paine. He lived in a menage de Troy, a sexually immoral man. You could look at uh, Thomas Jefferson, who bore women by his, bore children by his female slaves. And if you just look at the Jefferson in Paris movie, it can tell you about the uh, his adventures and also Franklin Benjamin Franklin he was a member of the Hellfire Club in England and uh, he's a guy that really got around not only was he a uh, the the Grand Master of the Nine Sisters Lodge in Paris he actually raised Voltaire to a Master Mason well he was Grand Master of the Lodge also he was the Grand Master of the Lodge in Paris he also was a member of the Hellfire Club in London and the Hellfire Club they had over inscribed as their motto do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law that's where Aleister Crowley got the theme his saying for the Thelema the book of the law when he took Masonic Satanism to another whole level but the Hellfire Club was about satanic rituals and the Hellfire Club was about sexual immorality orgies and lots of hookers and these men you you can see that Jefferson Payne and Franklin they were sexually immoral Adams and Washington were not you could never lay the charge of sexual immorality to George Washington he lived a chaste life with his wife as did Adams they had that veneer of godliness to them even though they were not Christians they had a veneer of godliness and what we see is that Jefferson, Payne and Franklin they were the philosophic sons of Grand Orient Freemasonry while Washington Adams they were the philosophic sons of Grand Lodge Freemasonry and from these two philosophies the Democratic Party, they are based upon the principles of Grand Orient Freemasonry. And the Republican Party is based upon the principles of Grand Lodge Freemasonry. Now, for those of you that would like a deeper look into this, we have a two-CD set that I did. uh, And I did this live back when we were on... um, 
Christian media, and I did this with James Lloyd, and I did uh, a two-hour look into the war between French and British Freemasonry, and there's a lot of history there that people just don't know, but it's just, uh, you can't get a real insight into what was going on. T5 is the, the name of that, Donna said for those of you that would like a deeper look there. But this is a very important understanding. And while Adams and Jefferson were, I mean, you talk about bitter controversy, it was, but there was a minister, I believe it was uh, Benjamin Rush, that brought reconciliation between Adams and Jefferson, and Adams and Jefferson wrote letters to one another after their reconciliation, and you can read these letters, and they are very insightful. These letters that Jefferson and Adams wrote to one another in correspondence after they reconciled. Now, one of the main things that stands out to me from these letters is that one thing, and and there was literally, you'd think these guys, they agreed on everything. You'd think they'd been the best buddies all their life. And the one thing they agreed on, Jefferson, the Illuminatist, and Adams, the Unitarian, they agreed upon the fact that it was absolutely impossible for anybody to know God. That God was unknowable. And that only, and this was really in the Enlightenment thinkers of 18th century France. This was really the birth and the popu- and the birth of humanism in our modern sense of it, and it was also the popularizing of Christian bashing that is still carried on to this day. And Adams and Jefferson they agreed that God was unknowable that it was impossible for man to know God. Now, in the Declaration of Independence, it begins, and Jefferson wrote these words, he said that these truths are self-evident. We hold that these truths are self-evident. Now, that's in lightness lingo. What that means is, This is what, these truths are what carnal man, apart from God, can know within his own mind. These truths are self-evident, and they opposed anything that would be bringing forth the idea that there was a supernatural God that could actually intervene in the lives of men. And... This is what we see that happened when Diane Reedy took to the microphone. They, they, they can't believe that this could actually be God working an intervention. And what they brought forth, I just want to read something from Albert Pike on page 744 of Morals and Dogma. And Mr. Pike says here, and what Adams maintained... He said that the Declaration of Independence and the American Constitution, that they were a mixing of the principles of Rousseau with Christianity. Now this is what Albert Pike says. He says, The Kabbalah alone consecrates the alliance of the universal reason and the divine word. It establishes by and by the counterposes 
of two forces apparently opposite, the eternal balance of being, it alone reconciles reason with faith, power with liberty, science with mystery. It has the keys of the present, the past, and the future. And Freemasonry and Kabbalah is dedicated with the integration of human reason into the Word of God. Now, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and let's read verses 13 and 14. And nothing, and this is from the Founder's own mouth, and once again I have to reiterate, I've mentioned five, I've focused on five this morning. Washington and Adams and Franklin and Payne and Jefferson. And once again, I have to say that these men were remarkable men. They were literally giants upon the earth in their day. They not only changed our nation, but they changed the world. And in a lot of ways, it was good things. But I have to say this also that these men were rank infidels. And the philosophy that motivated these men was not the Word of God, it was not the Bible. It was Freemasonry. It was the French Enlightenment. It was sometimes the Enlightenment, Freemasonry, and the Jesuits, you see. And while, just like today, it really looked like George Bush and Barack Obama were on different sides of things, just like Jefferson and Adams, didn't it? But to anybody that's paying attention at all, you can see that George, or excuse me, that George Bush and Barack Obama, that they were both heading the same place, weren't they? They had a little different idea about how it should all come down, but they really weren't enemies at all because they were both rowing the boat to the same destination, weren't they? Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let's read verse 13 and 14. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And that's what we have to spiritually discern, that there is a difference between the Word of God and the philosophy of the Founding Fathers. They are not the same. I want to read a quote here by Washington. Washington said this, and it's very telling. He said, Being myself no bigot to any mode of worship, I am disposed to indulge the professors of Christianity in the church. The road to heaven, which to them shall seem the most direct, plainest, easiest, and least liable to exception. Washington said, I'm, I have to indulge them. In other words, he has to, and Washington was a man of few words, and he went out of his way not to offend them and even to appear to be a part of them, but he very well knew that he was not and that his goal was taking things to a final destination. And what they understood, and there are multiple statements to this effect, and to the Bible Christians of the day that feared God, they would say, and the, and the statement was made that this 
Constitution will only work as long as the American people have a faith in God and a morality to their life. Because, you see, the American government and the Constitution as it was set up, it was a republic and a democracy. A republic will protect the rights of the few, of the minority, but democracy tends to exalt the will of the majority. Just for instance. And they knew that when the balance would tip to where most Americans would want hedonism rather than godliness, that the whole thing would fall apart. Just for instance, now there are multiple states that will vote in referendums on gay marriage, than uh, abortion, and the number is growing exponentially. Uh, over a dozen states now have legalized gay marriage, and it's just going to keep escalating. And they knew that. And we are now to the point where the will of the majority is being exercised. You see, and Obama knows this. The wind is at his back. He knows, and this is what went on in the government shutdown. It's the death of conservatism. Those would op- that oppose Barack Obama and his plans, he is going to vilify them. He is going to denigrate them. And it's going to go from vilification to denigration to persecution. And the camps are ready. Homeland Security's got the bullets. And it's very, very obvious what's coming now I want to read um, from Colossians chapter 2 but knowing this we do not hang our heads in fear but we lift up our heads as the Lord said for our redemption draweth nigh and we're going to see the God factor We're going to see some more Diane Reedies. You and I might be some of those Diane Reedies that in whatever platform God would give us, that you and I will be able to bear testimony and speak, thus saith the Lord. Now in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, the scripture says, Beware! You know, we read that scripture earlier when Jesus said, Beware of men. The Apostle Paul also says, Beware lest any man spoil you. And I mean any man. Whether it be Kenneth Hagin, whether it be Kenneth Copeland, whether it be George Washington or Thomas Paine, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power Jesus Christ is the king of kings he's the lord of lords he's coming back and he will rule and reign on this earth the kingdom of God is at hand. We believe that the kingdom of God is here and that the Lord Jesus Christ will return and then 
there will be a reign of true righteousness. Now, in the 17th chapter of John, and I I mean, this is exciting. When I heard what this woman said, it excited me. You know, it it was such great confirmation. Uh, You know, my goodness, this has never been a Christian nation because the Constitution was written by Freemasons. Well, yeah, yeah. Amen. John chapter 17 and verse 3. Let's read that. And once again, I just have to say of David Barton, who would try to give people the impression that these men were in any way lifting up Christianity in the Bible. Shame on you. Shame on you. John chapter 17 and verse 3, the word of the Lord says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And to everyone that will take the writings of these men and put them on a par with Scripture, I rebuke you. In the name of Jesus Christ, you need to repent before a holy God and ask Him to forgive you before our soon coming King pours the wrath of God on your sinful, rebellious hides. I rebuke you and call you to repentance in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, let me read it again. John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is understanding that there is only one God, that he is present in the person of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, and that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who became God on the flesh. He was born of a virgin, fully God and fully man. He went to Calvary's cross and he died for our sins. And for all of those that will believe, Paul said it's through the foolishness of preaching that the true wisdom of God is put forth that supersedes the wisdom of man. And that's the choice that everyone must make. Do you believe in the wisdom of God or do you believe in the wisdom of man? You can't believe in both at the same time. You have to choose. And that choice is before us in the person of Jesus Christ. Are you complete in Him? Do you believe that in Him all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. Do you lift him and his word above all things? Or do you have a mixture? Do you have a mixture of biblical theology and Masonic philosophy? And that's what most of the apostate church is. And they wouldn't even realize that, but it is. And I I might say, too, there's tremendous deception at work here. Uh, like I said, with Thomas Paine was a good example. The people that followed him had no idea that he was the Christ-hating person he was during the Revolutionary War. It was only after that, when Age of Reason come out, that they could really see him for what he was. And people are deceived. But I have to say again, that's not my fault. 
it's not my fault you've allowed yourself to be deceived and you've allowed yourself to come under false coverings and to believe false doctrines. All I can do is tell you the truth and tell you to come out of your deception. Only the Holy Ghost of God can rip that veil off your eyes that you might see the truth. Now, we're going to close this morning and we're going to close with a word of prayer. And after I pray, Donna has something she's going to play that she has prepared a sound bite. It's a prophecy that she gave and also we're going to play one more time the sound bite of Miss Reedy and that what she brought forth. And I'm, I'm just kind of overwhelmed in my spirit this morning with the awesomeness of God and His presence and His power. And I'm so encouraged this morning that not only do we have a God that speaks, but we have a remnant that still hears. And the things that are going to come forth through this, I think, are going to be great and marvelous. And I'm just thankful to the Lord to be even the smallest part of it. But let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the freedom to be able to say what we say this morning. We pray, Lord, that it continues, that we can speak your word and bring forth your truth with boldness. And Father, I want again want to lift up to you this morning, Diane Reedy. Lord, I thank you for her obedience, and I just pray, Father, that you protect her, that you encourage her, and that you just allow a special measure of grace and blessing to be upon her and her family. And Lord, I pray for each and every one listening this morning, those of you that have made up your mind to stand where she stands and where the Lord stands. I pray, Father, that you strengthen each and every one of those that you likewise give them that special blessing of grace and that the fruit of the spirit of endurance be worked in their lives that we truly might endure to the end and overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And Father, we just thank you that you're a God that cares. We thank you that you're a God that's going to soon intervene we give you the glory and we thankfully bow the knee to you and you alone this morning. King of kings, Lord of lords, our soon coming king, we truly give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I'm going to bid you all goodbye until next Sunday morning and we're going to close out this morning with this clip Donna has prepared. God bless you all and we'll see you next Sunday morning on FOJC The Lord would say to us I have spoken but ye have not listened tell the heathen that they will be brought low judgment is not pretty but is necessary the time has come for you to get serious with the Lord Lo, I come with great vengeance, for I am a jealous God. Many days have passed, and I have warned my people, but yet they do not listen.
The young ones are like wild asses. They run in the streets to and fro. And the old ones try to be young again. Yet none seek my face. Even those who call themselves my servants do not seek my face. The shepherds have lost control of their flocks. They have no authority to lead them. The sheep have gone astray, seeking pasture in molten fields. Oh, that I had a shepherd that would grab the sheep in the crook of their staff and pull them to safety and guide them in my ways. It's time for those who call themselves apostles to walk in the way of the Master. It's time for those who are prophets to live a life worthy of the calling. It's time for those who teach not to veer from my doctrine. It's time for those who go after the lost sheep and the black sheep to get serious. It's time for those who say they follow me to follow me. Let me speak to you, my children, for I am not a God who is afar off. I am your God who loves you from everlasting to everlasting. Write these words, my daughter, and declare them. Let them be a testimony of my love and power. All glory to my Lord Jesus Christ. That word was given to me, Donna Carrico, October 17, 2011. The following was given by Diane Reedy on October 16, 2013. This word was given to the U.S. House of Representatives. He will not be mocked. He will not be mocked. Don't touch me. He will not be mocked. The greatest deception here is this is not one nation under God. It never was. Had it been, it would not have been. No. It would not have been. Constitution would not have been written by Freemasons. They go against God. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. Praise be to God, Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said to his twelve apostles as he sent them out in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 23. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents, and harmless as doves. But be aware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour that ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee yet into another city. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.